بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم صل على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا ومولانا محمد بارك وسلم أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته So we are still in the chapter of fasting the spiritual aspects of siyam and inshallah we're going to finish there's very little left and we're going to start the chapter of hajj and the asrar and the special aspects that we have to be aware of when we are performing umrah or hajj so beginning with uh, the asrar so previously imam al-ghazali rahimahullah he spoke of the frequency of fasting in the very beginning of the chapter, he talks about uh, you know, the importance of fasting, why it's so necessary, why it's so highly praised, why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives a special reward for it. And then he discusses the second aspect, which was the frequency of fasting. How often should you and I fast in order to gain the most benefit? And he mentioned three levels there. There was the very beginner who just fasts during Ramadan, the second stage, is a person which is he, he recommends the, is the best stage for most Muslims which is the fasting one third of your life meaning every Mondays Thursdays any special situations which dictate fasting like the uh, the ten days of Dhul Hijjah etc and uh, of course Ramadan and then the highest level was the Psalm of Dawood alayhi salam every other day fasting now he's going to talk about some of the Asrar he says Asrar means secrets, but these are very pertinent things that we should keep uh, mind of when we're fasting. So he says, As for the three levels of, of the as for the levels of the secrets of fasting, he says there's three. Adnaha an ala al-kafi al-makari. So the lowest level of fasting. So what he's talking about here is the quality of fasting. So we talked about quantity already. What about the quality of fasting? So there is a quality to fasting. It's not just not eating, not drinking. There's something more to it. So he says the lowest quality of fasting is that you prevent yourself from those, those things that break the fast. So what breaks the fast? Uh, food, drink, relations, uh, these things break the fast. These are the three major things that break the fast. There are also details, uh, but that we, we should learn from the books of fiqh. So the lowest quality of fasting is you just barely make it through. You may be engaged in sins, maybe some backbiting, some uh, looking at haram, all of that could happen. And none of us are free from these types of sins as well. But if you're fasting and you're doing those kind of sins as well, then this is the lowest level of fasting. You don't prevent yourself from other makruhat, other impermissible things or undesirable things. So the speech is not kept in check, the eyes are not kept in check, the ears are not kept in check. That is the lowest level of fasting. وَذَلِكَ صَوْمُ الْعُمُومُ وَهُوَ قَنَاعَتُهُمْ بِالْإِسْمِ He says, he calls this صَوْمُ الْعُمُومُ Meaning the fast of the general individual. So every Muslim has to at least fast like this. At minimum, this is what's fasting. Because if you're eating, that's not a fast. Right? So no one can go lower than this level. He says, if you're fasting like this, then 
You're just happy with calling yourself as a fasting person. As for the spirit of fasting, you don't have it. Uh, if you're fasting like this. There's a higher level that we should aspire to when we fast. Just like when we're talking about salah, there's a higher level. When we're talking about zakat and sadaqah. He mentioned so many things we should keep in mind to have that ikhlas. So that's the lowest level. Going to the second level of quality in terms of fasting. So you are avoiding things that will break the fast And you're also holding back your limbs So there's an added aspect to fasting So the bare minimum fasting is fasting of the stomach And uh, the appetites basically The sexual appetites, the uh, appetites of the stomach as well Food, drink and relations The second level of fasting is the limbs also are fasting. So he says, So he says, You protect your tongue from ghibah. This is the second level of fasting. Of course, with the first level, you can't be eating and then you say, Okay, I'm not doing ghibah, so I'm fasting. That's not going to make sense. With the first level, you are not speaking anything wrong. And along with ghibah is all the other sins of the tongue. Backbiting isn't the only sin. Harming someone with our tongues in their faces is also a sin. Speaking evil about them to their face. Speaking lies. All of these, all, all of these are sins of the tongue. Looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at. So preventing the eyes from looking at anything haram that's not permissible. Looking at the opposite gender looking at parts of the body that we shouldn't be looking at, all of these things, it's all around us. To be aware of that and prevent that from your eyes is fasting of the eyes. So you're fasting of the tongue, fasting of the eyes. Similar is all of the limbs. So you can think of every limb of your body doing something wrong and you preventing it from doing wrong is like the fasting of that limb. So just like you prevent food and drink, and relations for your body You also prevent things from your limbs So them Using them for, for sin This is the second level of fasting He calls this the fast of the special people The, the special specialized individuals Those who are seeking closeness to Allah Those who really want something from their fast They will have this second level of fasting And this is you know, like in all of our situations we've been talking about, there's always like three levels. Imam Ghazali is always mentioning three levels. He does this out of ease. And he always recommends the middle level for us. Because the, the bare minimum is what everyone is doing already, inshallah. If you're a Muslim and you are doing the fara'id, you're doing level one. Now the, the goal is to get to level two. So we did this when we were talking about salah, zakah, and he's going to keep going like this. Which is a very easy method. Now the third level الثالثة, أن تضيف إليه صيانة القلب عن الفكر والوسواس وتجعله مقصورا على ذكر الله عز وجل He says the third level of fasting So now not only are, is your body fasting Meaning you're depriving it of nutrition And sexual gratification As well as that you are preventing the limbs From being utilized for sin Now there's another level and that is the level of the mind and the heart. So this is the fasting of the mind and fasting of the heart. He says you add on to the previous two levels 
protection of the heart from incorrect thoughts. There's a very high level of fasting. You're protecting your heart from incorrect thoughts even. So imagine your heart is fasting now. And you do this, it's your mind and your heart. So the mind is not, you're not allowing the mind to wander. Now there is a big difference between the mind wandering on its own and between us causing the mind to wander. So the beginning stages of level three is where we stop our minds, we, we control the aspect that we have control over. For instance, you're daydreaming, you don't even realize you're daydreaming. So that's very difficult to control. It's very hard. But now I'm sitting and I'm utilizing my mind and purposefully thinking about things, I can control that. So he's saying that the beginning of level three is that you don't utilize your mind for incorrect thoughts. You don't try to use that mind. And later what happens is slowly it will get accustomed to that and even like non-voluntarily, involuntarily, it will not think about those things as well. So level three, you protect your heart from waswas, wasawas, thoughts that are incorrect. And you focus only on the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's very difficult. In your fast, you're, you're only pondering about Allah. You're, you're, all your thoughts are revolving around Allah or the Qur'an or you know Jannah, Jahannam, things that will uh, benefit us. So those things. So that's level three. وَذَلِكَ صَوْمُ خُصُوصِ الْخُصُوصِ وَهُوَ الْكَمَالِ He says this is the fast of the elite amongst the special specializers. Those who are really trying to get to Allah and the elite amongst them, this is how they fast. Not only are they fasting with their bodies, depriving it of nutrition, they are also fasting with their other limbs, the, the, the faculties that Allah has given us, they fast with that as well, not looking, not speaking, not hearing to thing, hearing things that are impermissible. And they get to a third level where their minds are also fasting, where the mind is only remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says, this is perfection. This is, this, he's, he, Imam Ghazali says, al kamal. kamal means perfection. If we can reach this state, then we've reached a state of perfection. So he says, these are the three levels. And of course, you know, I feel like the benefit of mentioning the third level, because we're so far from it, we don't really expect to reach the third level so quick. But the benefit of mentioning it is so that we're aware what the heights are. Once you're aware of how far you have to travel, it becomes a little bit easier. Right? If you're told, just walk, and someone's telling you, walk and you'll reach your destination. After an hour or two hours, you become really weary. Uh, you don't know how much you have to go. And that just the knowledge of the, or the ignorance of how much more you have to walk will sometimes defeat you. If you knew that you only have to walk one more mile, then you'd start running. So knowing how much we have to go also helps us. So he, he's telling us what is the perfect state so that at least we know, okay, where I am, I can gauge and I can get better, inshallah. And the second stage, when he have, whenever he mentions the three stages, usually the second stage is what we should aspire towards. So what we can do with our fasting, of course we need to do what is fault, right? You can't eat, you can't drink. Um, you need to add on to that fasting of the limbs. So when we fast, inshallah, this coming Ramadan, it's very near actually. We keep thinking it's something far away. It's just like right around the corner. For the Hufal, it's actually much more scary. You have to prepare. Um, 
So Ramadan's right around the corner. So we can make an aspiration that this year my fasts are going to be on a different level. Because now I know the three levels. I want to move from level one to level two. And maybe after five, ten years, I can slowly start moving into level three. But if I do this with continuity. So level two, this Ramadan, inshallah, we make an intention that not only am I going to prevent myself from food and drink and fulfilling my desires, but also my eyes will not go toward haram. If they look at haram, I'll divert them. My legs will not walk towards haram. My hands will not harm another individual. My ears will not listen to music, will not listen to riba, will not listen to that which I should not be listening to. And my tongue will not speak that which I shouldn't say. This is, in our times, if a person can fast like this, they will have a huge, one of, one of the most greatest aspects of fasting. And this is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran why we fast. He says, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ You fast so that you may achieve taqwa. This is taqwa. When I see something haram, no one else knows that I'm looking at haram. Only Allah knows. But for the fear of Allah, I divert that gaze. No one else knows that I'm doing ghibah except me and the other individual. That's why it's so bad because the person that you are harming with your tongue, they're unaware. So in all of these situations, if your fear of Allah can divert you from that, this is a high level of fasting. So we should aspire towards the second level of fasting, which is protecting my limbs from doing wrong. Then we should also make dua for the third level that, Oh Allah, make me capable one day, if not even now, but soon, that I am able to fast like these people who Imam Ghazali says, kamal, It is perfection. Allow me to reach that state of perfection because I desire to be near you and have your mercy. So we have to make dua for these things. It's not because at the end of the day, Allah gives us. It's not us that we make an effort, but Allah gives it to us after seeing the effort. And for some people, Allah gives without any effort. They're just born and they're, they're almost like, you know, when they become baligh, they're very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Naturally, they never gravitate towards sin. There are people like that. Which tells us that Allah is the controller of all of these things. If we're not making dua for this, if we're not making dua that give me tawfiq to even pray the tahajjud, to wake up, then, you know, we're missing out. And, and that's probably what's missing, why we're incapable of all of this. We have to start making dua for it. Then he says, ثم للصيام خاتمة بها يكمل وهو أن يفطر على طعام حلال لا على شبهة. The final thing he's going to mention about fasting is what makes the fasting holistic and perfect is that you fast in a way that your iftar is halal and there's no doubt in the iftar. So this is, you know, goes without saying. Why would you fast a whole day and then eat something haram for iftar? It ruins the whole thing. The, the spiritual benefit that we were going to have is destroyed by whatever, you know, let's say we fasted all three stages. But at night after Maghrib we're eating haram. It's not going to benefit us then. And he says, It shouldn't be doubtful. So he doesn't say it shouldn't be haram. He says doubtful. So what in, is included in doubtful? Doubtful food can be something that you're, you're not fully sure if it's halal or not. Someone maybe just mentioned it's halal. And in previous times, if a Muslim says food is halal, it's halal. That's how it used to be. If someone is Muslim and they're saying this is halal food, we're not allowed to question. This is the standard. And in the time of Rasulullah the Tabi'een, Sahaba, etc. This is how they would behave. A Muslim is bringing me food. 
They wouldn't even ask Because it's a Muslim Why would a Muslim be feeding you haram? You don't have to ask But in recent times there Sometimes a Muslim may not be aware of certain things And due to the ignorance They themselves aren't aware that something may be impermissible So because of the amount of doubt in today's time We can ask in a way that you know doesn't offend our host We can say, you know uh, I don't mean to offend you uh, I, I'm not sure if you're fully aware But you know, there's some issues with this meat or something like that Can you tell me where exactly you got it I, I really don't want to offend you if, you if you have these caveats when you mention to them These muqaddimat uh, Then inshallah they, they won't feel offended So we really do have to ascertain in today's time Because we're all aware of how you know doubtful food is now And this is one of the main things that, that destroys our spirituality It's haram food in the Arba'in of Imam Nawawi, there's this very scary hadith. He mentions that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa mentions that there's this traveler. And we all know when you're traveling, your du'as are readily accepted. So what, what is the, the signs of acceptance of a du'a? Or, or someone whose du'a is accepted, they're going to be in a desperate situation. Maybe their hair is ruffled. Maybe their clothes are dirty. They, and, and a traveler... Their du'as are more readily accepted So people who are in a desperate situation Allah is more likely to accept them So Rasulullah in this hadith He paints a picture of a person Who is in the most desperate situation He's a traveler His clothes are tattered and torn His hair is disheveled And he has his hands up and he's crying in du'a So it's like ikhlas in the du'a as well And then Nabi says so, so basically this person's du'a When you hear the situation You know his du'a is going to get accepted but then Rasulullah says, this person ate haram, their food, was per- their food was purchased with haram money, their clothes was purchased with haram money, uh, and, and they've been raised on haram. So there's no way Allah is going to accept their dua. So subhanAllah, a person who has all of the prerequisites for dua to be accepted in that most desperate situation, but because they're engaged in haram, they're eating haram, and the food and, and the clothing is haram, and, and their earnings are haram. Allah will not accept and, and if you look at the Arabic The phrase that he uses It says فَأَنَّا يُسْتَجَابُ Where, How in the world will Allah accept That's kind of the translation How in the world will Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Accept that person's dua So food plays a huge part in our spirituality uh, If we want to get close to Allah Then we need to have halal food And in today's time it's so hard To find actual halal tayyib food That's why a lot of scholars And a lot of uh, mashayikh Spiritual people They will refuse to eat out They will only purchase You know like rice And different food That they're absolutely sure of That is halal And they eat home Home cooked meals And they refuse to eat out Because they just don't know What's going to happen Some of my teachers as well They would say that Okay I know the food And in South Africa The food is uh, halal certified They're lucky You know they go to a restaurant It has a stamp And you know The, the, the halal board Is a group of scholars that are reliable So if you see the stamp you go in there's, You don't have to worry about a single thing There's no alcohol being served No haram, nothing at all They're vetted out very uh, thoroughly Still some of my teachers They would refuse to eat From these restaurants that have the halal stamp And like, I don't know how to explain it Somewhere where you see one of those halal stamps Is probably more authentic Than any place we can find around here Because Ulama have went in there These are scholars They go in there They look at everything And they've trained They're like chemists as well 
they train to look at every single ingredient so it's it's vetted out early but the reason why they would refuse to eat at these places they would say and this is a very spiritual point that we're not really uh, keeping in mind so one of my teachers he told us that you go to a place and the workers who are working there sometimes they cannot afford this food they don't their the job does not allow them to have this type of food like a five star restaurant their waiters and stuff like that when they're preparing your food and they're hungry from the whole day's amount of work what's happening is they're giving you nazar on the food the ayin it's falling on the food so he says because of that i don't want to take part in that you might find that you get sick or if not physically sick what happens is your amal will decrease and there there are people that can recognize that so they have a standard amount of amal that they do on a daily basis and they also feel you know mashallah maybe many of you have felt this some days you do your daily standard amal your nawafil and you can feel the nur from it you can feel it come into your heart you you feel energized by those ibadat your tahajjud your ridwas your recitation it like fuels you and for some reason you just become happy some days you do the same amal but you just you don't feel good it's i'm not getting that nur that i get usually i'm not feeling vibrant today but i'm doing the same amount of amal i'm staying away from the sin one reason could be that you know we either did um, we looked at something wrong we ate something wrong or someone did some nadar or something on our food all of this has some effect right it doesn't mean you're just going to pass out when you eat the food but it'll have some spiritual effect so that's why they're very cautious when it comes to eating halal. This is one of the main things of, of, of spirituality, is being cautious about our food intake. So let me finish what Imam Al-Ghazali says here. He says, وَأَلَّا يَسْتَكْثِرْ مِنْ أَكْلِ الْحَلَالِ بِحَيْثُ يَتَدَارَكُ مَا فَاتَهُ ضَحْوَةً فَيَكُونُ قَدْ جَمَعَ بَيْنَ أَكْلَتَيْنِ دَفْعَةً وَاحِدَةً فَتَثْقُلُ مِعْدَتُهُ Another beneficial thing that he's mentioning regarding food. So the first thing, make sure your iftar and your suhoor when you're fasting is absolutely halal. And so if you want a spiritual Ramadan, you have to avoid all of these doubtful things. Of course, we know what's halal, what's haram. Avoid the doubtful. The second point that he's mentioning here is you do not eat much, especially in Ramadan. He says, don't eat too much halal as well. So the amount of halal that we're eating should be decreased as well for a beneficial fast. He says, if you eat too much in your suhoor and your iftar, all you're doing is you're taking the meals that were spread throughout the day and you're just pushing them to the sides. It doesn't really benefit you then. He says, in this situation, what you missed in the day, you're getting at the night. So that's all you're doing. And so your, uh, your intestines and your insides is going to get heavy. You're going to get lethargic. And he says your shahawat and the desires that are caused by the food are going to increase. Sometimes you might notice in Ramadan, you feel, you, you, you go through this like cognitive dissonance that, you know, the shayateen are locked away, but I'm still inclining towards sin. What, what's happening? One thing is because the food is a lot. A lot of food, what, what it does is it gives you strength. And that's the whole thing of fasting. It gives you strength and it gives it strengthens the desires as well. So he's saying if you eat a lot in your suhoor and iftar, in Ramadan or any time you're fasting, it's going to ruin the effect of the fast, which means weakens you to a state where you can still function, but the desires are weakened. 
And he says that the secret of fasting will be finished. وَيُفْضِي إِلَى تَكَاسُلْ عَنِ التَّهَجُّدْ Another secret that he's mentioning here. He mentions this in more detail. We only have two more lines. He mentioned this in, in, in detail in Ihya Al-Muddin, his, his masterpiece on uh, spirituality. He says the secret to waking up for tahajjud is sleeping with a light stomach. So if you sleep with a heavy stomach, like you just ate really like to your fill and you sleep, what happens is hard to wake up. And you'll probably notice if you take a nap after you had a, a full stomach, pro- brothers probably don't do that, but I have plenty of experience in that regard. Eat a lot and then you just go to sleep. When you wake up, you feel horrible. And you just want to, that, that nap becomes like two, three hours sometimes. It's not a nap anymore. It's a deep sleep. And he's saying, if you want to perform tahajjud, ensure you go to sleep with a light stomach. It doesn't mean that you, you go to sleep hungry. You're not starving. Eat something light and go to sleep. And that will ensure you can wake up for tahajjud. And remember, he's talking about a time where they didn't have alarm clocks. Sometimes it boggles my mind. These awliya and these pious people, they could wake up to Hajjud on a daily basis. They never miss it. And they never had an alarm clock. And we're sitting here with alarms after alarms, you know, like just snoozing, snoozing, and it still can't get up. So there's something wrong with us right now. Or something, you know, Allah has blessed them in a way that we don't understand. How do you program yourself? You just Your eyes just open up. So he's talking from that experience. وَرُبَّمَا لَمْ يَسْتَيْقِذْ قَبْلَ الصُّبْحِ Sometimes he's saying, a person who fills their stomach and goes to sleep, they won't even wake up for Fajr. Right? They, they, they won't even wake up. They'll wake up and the sun's already out. Because, and again, they didn't have an alarm clock. Right? All of this is loss. If, if this is our state, we're in a state of loss, we're missing out. True life is to live, you know, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to worship Him. We're missing out on our tahajjud. We're missing out on the Monday, uh, Thursday fasts, all of these. We're really missing out the, the, the benefit that we could be having. We're just letting the days go by. And then when we're like, you know, 60, 70, we'll look back and say, oh, I could have done it. Actually, the time to do it is right now. He says, if, if all of this is uh, ruined, meaning you're not careful of your food intake, you're eating too much, then the benefit of fasting is lost. So these are spiritual points that he's pointing out that we should keep in mind, inshallah, when we're fasting. And uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq. To wrap up, inshallah, what we can do on, you know, as, as a, uh, in, on an individual basis, you know, he, he spoke of the benefit of fasting, so we all understand that. But two main things that we can take from this chapter. Number one is, if we're not doing like the Monday, Thursday fast, we can incorporate those along with the three days when the, the moon is full. It's not much, but if you add it together, it's actually one third of your life. So subhanAllah, the, the system of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa is so amazing. It's actually one third of your, fast, your, your life you've been fasting. So that's a lot. There's this gate of Jannah. There's, there's like eight gates. Uh, this is a famous hadith. Abu Bakr who heard this from Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There's eight gates of Jannah. And he was like, will anyone go through all of them? And he was like, you're going to go through all of them. But uh, one of the gates is the gates is called rayyan. Rayyan means uh, satiation or, or quenched thirst. That's the name of the gate. Those who used to fast a lot will go through them. So it's hoped that if we fast one third of our lives, we can go through that gate. As well as others, depending if you, maybe there's a gate of tahajjud, gate of those who are very generous. So they'll line up for you so you can go through all of them depending on how you work. 
So if we do this one third of our life, inshallah we can be part of that. And then if we can be continuous with this, or if one day we just become really serious, we can start doing the Psalm of Dawud alayhi salam. And then, that, so that's the first point, the amount of fasting that we should do. Let's make an intention inshallah, Mondays, Thursdays, Ayyamul Bid, inshallah I'm going to do that from now on. Along with Ramadan of course. The second thing is that we upgrade our basic level, our quality of fasting to the quality of me preventing my limbs from doing haram as well. So not only am I preventing myself from food and drink and relations, but I'm also going to prevent myself from looking at haram, talking haram, doing haram, and even makruh. So this is the next stage that we have to aspire towards. And then of course there's a third stage, one day we can reach that. And of course the last thing he mentioned about eating, the, the quantity of food should be at a level not where you're still hungry after the meal, but you're satiated but not full. And that is, of course, we know, the one-third of the, the stomach. So one-third filled with food, one-third with water, one-third left empty. That's going to give us the most benefit, inshallah. And, you know, we'll wake up for tahajjud, we'll do all of these things as long as our food intake is taken care of. So these are some of the benefits that Imam al-Ghazali has uh, pointed to towards. And that we can incorporate in our fasting. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us tawfiq. To be amongst those who fast for his sake. We ask for ikhlas. And we ask to incorporate all of these beautiful wisdoms that he has shared with us. And to finally make us among those who go to the gate of Rayyan into Jannah.